Well, this morning we've had the theme of God's deliverance. We heard it in that song, but we also have heard it in testimony this morning. And we want to thank Steve for giving us that testimony. We miss you and Donna around here. We miss your presence. Uh, But we know that each Lord's Day we are gathered around the same table. And we praise God for not just you, but we share that with believers all over the world. And we do praise God for His kingdom activity in your healing. And we praise God for the kingdom activity even for those who aren't healed. We know that God is active and, and prayer is a very mysterious thing. But what's happened to, uh, to Steve is something truly worthy to testify about, to testify to the goodness and the power of God's kingdom among us. And a lot of what Steve said reminded me of what Paul says at the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where we're going to be here in a moment, because Paul speaks of God's deliverance at the very end of this letter. Now next week we're going to hear 2 Timothy read in its entirety. We do this from time to time after a study of a short letter, and so let's be mindful of that. But for today we're going to finish 2 Timothy. And last week we began in chapter 4 with Paul's final charge to young Timothy. And it was this, this mixture of very sobering words, but also words of great hope. Uh, Timothy carries no delusions about his current situation, about his time in prison. He knows that escape is not going to happen. He's probably awaiting an execution And he doesn't see a way out of that. And yet he's looking back on his ministry, but he's also looking forward. He's looking forward to his reward. So we come to the end of 2 Timothy chapter 4, where Paul names names. And Paul talks about this time of abandonment and being deserted and and being betrayed and being lonely. He talks about Psalm 22. He actually quotes Psalm 22 when he's delivered out of the lion's mouth. And and Psalm 22 is a very important passage for the people of God because Psalm 22 is what was on the lips of Jesus at the cross. And I think Paul is making a link here in this passage. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to back up to verse 6, what we read last week, and then take it to the end of the chapter. So let's... Hear the word of God from 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, 
bring the cloak that I left in Carpus, or left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, so that they may hear it. So I was, Psalm 22, rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth and I left Trophinus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. May God bless the reading of his word. In 1845, Hans Christian Andersen wrote a short story called The Little Match Girl, And upon first reading, it's quite a depressing story. The little girl's mother had died, and her father was abusive, probably given over to the drink. And he would send the little match girl out into the streets of London uh, to do just that, to sell matches. And if she failed to sell any matches, there was a heavy price to pay. And, And this story takes place on New Year's Eve there on the streets of London, where there's a very deadly cold winter storm. And the little match girl is out on the streets at night trying to sell her matches. And after not having very much success, she goes into an alleyway to try to get away from the winds. And as the cold is taking over her, she decides to strike one of her matches that she's supposed to sell. And so she strikes a match just to warm up her fingers which had become numb. But as she strikes a match and holds it up against the brick wall, she sees something magical. She sees this window of a scene that's probably happening inside the the building. She sees a warm stove. And she puts her hands up to that warm stove that is actually going, and she feels the warmth of that stove. And then the match goes out, and she sees the cold bricks again, And the cold comes over her again, so she decides to strike another match, and she holds it up against the wall. And this time, she sees in this window a feast, and a family, and and a roasted goose. And this, this roasted goose starts to move toward her, inviting her to the feast, and she can actually smell it. Then the match goes out, and all she sees is bricks. She lights another match, and she sees a Christmas tree with presents. Presents for her. Presents that she did not receive at Christmas. And she looks up at the sky 
and she sees stars filling the sky, and she, she sees a shooting star go across the sky, and she remembers the words of her deceased grandmother who told her that whenever a, a star is falling, that means that God is receiving one of his children. And as a reader of this story, we quickly realize that the falling star represents the little match girl who is freezing to death, striking one little match at a time, experiencing these incredible visions. Which brings us to 2 Timothy 4. When I read the words of Paul here at the end of 2 Timothy 4, I can't help but think he would have found a good conversation partner with the little match girl. And he certainly would understand what it means to be cold. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon and bring my cloak. Make sure you bring my cloak. Do your best, Timothy, to come before winter. Paul knows that winter is on its way. And in the Greco-Roman world, prisoners depended heavily on family and friends to supply their needs. And Paul can see the winter coming. It's an increased time of suffering. This is not going to be a pleasant ending for Paul, however this plays out. But in many ways, Paul's winter has already started. He is in the twilight of his life But he speaks of yet another type of winter. He speaks of a relational winter. He talks about his abandonment. He talks about being deserted and betrayed. He talks about being alone. He even names names. Demas is in love with this present world. Literally, he calls it the now world. And Demas abandoned him at his most desperate hour. And Crescens and Titus also left him. And then Paul talks about Alexander the coppersmith. And maybe Alexander the coppersmith is the reason why Paul is in prison. We don't know. All we know is that Alexander caused great harm to Paul. And he warns Timothy, stay away from that guy. Then we get to verse 16. At my first defense, no one came to stand by my side. Everyone deserted me. Everyone deserted me. And so, we have to remember this is a letter written to young Timothy. I wonder how Timothy was receiving this here at the end of this letter, these words of Paul. Timothy experiencing his own kind of winter. He's being attacked by these false teachers. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel. And and he too feels alone. And his friend, Paul, his Mentor, his teacher, has been abandoned, not unlike Jesus at the cross. For Paul, winter is coming, but in many ways, winter is already here. And so I asked the question this morning. How many of you are experiencing a time of winter? It might be hard to think about that in the middle of August when it's 105 degrees outside. But winter comes in different forms. And winter in life looks like trial and suffering. And we feel the cold winds and they cut right through us. And cold is often a metaphor for trial and for suffering. And 
I've always found it interesting that Dante, when he wrote the Inf- Dante's Inferno, and he's taking a tour of hell, the ninth circle of hell, where the worst sinners are, the traitors, it's a frozen tundra with the devil's wings beating there in that imaginative retelling of, of what's going on in hell. And a boy who grew up in South Texas, I would say that's, that's probably about right when you think about it. But when we hear those phrases, bring my cloak, come before winter, there are some in here who say, I know what he's talking about. When he talks about being abandoned and being betrayed, feeling alone, there are some in here who say, yes, I can find myself in that story. I can find myself in that alleyway in that deadly winter storm with only a few matches to keep warm and all I want is respite. Respite from the winds. Respite from the hurt. Respite from the pain. What does your winter look like this morning? Well, some of us might not be in a winter. It might be spring or summer. You're full of joy, and we rejoice with you. But there are some who are mourn, and we mourn with you. And for those who are enduring cold winds, we hope that this morning you find words of encouragement. And really, when we go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, that's what we find. Words of encouragement not just for Timothy, but for the church. And these words come in what we might call Paul having an apocalyptic mindset. And when we hear the word apocalypse, we probably have all kinds of visions that go through our minds. We think about how it's used in the popular culture, apocalypse, signs of the apocalypse, the memes that go out on the internet, doomsday, the end of the world, tidal waves pummeling cities, volcanoes erupting. Maybe we think of those images in Revelation, those frightening images. Well, let me tell you, Revelation is actually a book of encouragement. And the word revelation is actually literally apocalypse, which means unveiling, unmasking, It's God pulling up the shades and showing us the way things really are. That's what's happening in the book of Revelation with John exiled on the island of Patmos. It looks as if the Roman Empire is in control. It looks as if there's this ongoing injustice happening against Christians and it will never end. And what's this vision that John has there on the island? He has this vision of the throne room of God. The one who sits on the throne and the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ, and this eternal worship that is ongoing, that's happening even right now as we speak. What John has given is a vision of the real world. The way things really are. Even when it's hard to see, that is the true order of things. The true king is on the throne. 
And I see something happening, something akin to this happening here at the end of 2 Timothy. And there, there aren't these wild, imaginative visions that Paul has, not like John, but Paul has apocalyptic visions nonetheless. He has an unveiling of the way things really are. Paul, in the winter of his life, he describes his situation as being alone, deserted, abandoned, betrayed, but then he strikes a match and holds it up to the wall. And he sees a different picture. At my first offense, no one stood by me. The Lord stood by me. The Lord strengthened me. The Lord made it possible to proclaim the message to the Gentiles, even in my weakened state. And then Paul strikes another match, and he sees a vision of the future. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into that heavenly kingdom. And again, these are words written to Timothy. And what Paul's doing here at the end of this letter is really he's inviting Timothy to strike a match also and to catch a glimpse, to catch a glimpse of something that God is doing beyond the scene, behind the scenes, to catch a glimpse of looking beyond present circumstances and to see that God is active in Timothy's situation, to see that God is the one who is standing by Timothy's side. God did not abandon Timothy. God never abandoned Paul. And for those who love him, God never abandons his people. Ever. Well, the winters can be cold and bitter. But even in the dark alleyways of life, even when we feel alone, God is giving us glimpses of the way things really are. That God is working something out in our present circumstances. And ultimately, no matter what happens, God will deliver us safely into His kingdom because God is faithful to His promises that He's made. And the tomb is empty. And life is so short. It is a breath and it is gone. But God's kingdom will stand. And God will deliver His people into that kingdom. And so the invitation this morning, especially for those who are caught in the confines of winter, is to take a match and strike it and gaze upon the many ways in which God is providing for His people, in which God is delivering His people, to, to take our eyes off just for a moment, the now world, and to gaze into the warm, abiding presence of God with us. That's the way things really are. In Anderson's short story, written 175 years ago, the little match girl does end up dying there in the alleyway. It's a sad tale, no doubt, of a little girl who is suffering. And yet there's another part to that story Something else was going on there in the alleyway that was powerful. Her last vision is a vision of her grandmother, her deceased grandmother, the only one who really loved her. Well, 
Let me just read how Anderson ends this story. This is what he says. She struck another match on the wall. It was alight once more. And before her stood her old grandmother, all dazzling and bright, and looking very kind and loving. Grandmother, cried the little girl, oh, take me with you. I know that you will go away when the match is burnt out. You will vanish like the warm stove, like the beautiful roast goose and the large and splendid Christmas tree. And she quickly lighted the whole box of matches, for she did not wish to let her grandmother go. The matches burned with such a great blaze. It was lighter than day. And the old grandmother had never appeared so beautiful nor so tall before. Taking the little girl in her arms, she flew up with her high, endlessly high above the earth. And there they knew neither cold, nor hunger, nor sorrow, for they were with God. But in the cold dawn, the poor little girl was still sitting with red cheeks and a smile upon her lips in the corner, leaning against the wall, frozen to death on the last evening of the old year. The New Year's sun shined on the little body. The girl sat stiffly, holding her matches, of which a box had been burnt. She must have tried to warm herself, someone said. No one knew. No one knew what beautiful visions she had experienced, nor into what glory she had entered with her grandmother on the joyous new year. No one knew what beautiful things she had seen, nor into what glory she had entered with her grandmother on the joyous new year. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Lord is our help. He's the giver of our lives. He will deliver us from our grief and from our shame. Do you need to strike a match this morning? Do you need a vision of the grace, the peace, the joy of the kingdom of God that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ our Lord? Winter and night are here, but as the psalmist says, joy comes in the morning, and if we look hard enough, we might even see joy happening right here among the family of God gathered around this table. This is the way things really are. We're going to sing a, a song of invitation now that speaks of our hope and our joy that we find in Christ and also the strength we gain from the church family. And this morning, if you would like the prayers of your church family or if you have come to faith and you would like to be baptized, and if you've already done so, if you've been immersed and you would like to join with us with what God is doing here among us here at Brentwood Oaks, now's the time to come as we stand and as we sing.